You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Are your pandemic coping strategies in need of a refresher? My name is Karen Stiller, and I interviewed Bill Straub, professor of communication at Trinity Western University, who has just completed and released a study called Weathering Well, Relational Resilience During the COVID-19 Lockdown. We hope you enjoy this interview and the insights uh, that Bill gives us as we enter into this next phase of pandemic living. So, Bill, your study is called Weathering Well, Relational Resilience During the COVID-19 Lockdown. And I'd like us to begin by, first of all, if you could tell us what weathering well actually means and what that looks like in this very strange time. Uh, Weathering well is a person's subjective sense that they're doing okay. So it's a, a manner of a person saying, I'm managing well enough, even though life all around me has changed dramatically. So the people in this field, they call it subjective well-being because they know what uh, you're going to consider doing well may not be the same for me. So they ask general questions. Specifically, the four questions I asked to capture weathering well were, were not questions from another survey. I, I made them up just for COVID. And the four were, I think I'm weathering the COVID-19 pandemic well, you know, agree, disagree on a scale. And I think the people I live with are weathering the COVID-19 pandemic well. Third, my closest relationships are becoming better during the crisis. And last, uh, the people I live with in isolation are providing support for my well-being during isolation. So, I very much looked at it as a relational thing. My view is, I'm so convinced, if we're doing well relationally behind closed doors, especially during week seven of the the pandemic, then we know we're probably doing well overall. So I like to study the relationship more than the actual mental health. Okay. And so you conducted the survey during week seven? Yes. Late April early May. Mm-hmm. Okay. So right away with the subjective nature of the questions, I, I thought immediately of my 20-year-old university student son, who we had to go rescue from Nova Scotia and bring home. And he immediately launched into like a solid two weeks of Xbox <laughs> play. <laughs> and I would have said that he was not doing well, but he would have said that he was doing very well, I think, in that stage. So help me understand that, I guess, that subjective nature of it. Okay. Well, can I ask, was he coming home from school? Yes. And then he came home to do on, he finished online. Yes. Online was happening. Well, he may have thought he was doing well because, whoa, I'm so free. I've got all this <laughs> right. do what I want to do. And I just handed my last two papers. Otherwise, I'm, I'm good to go. If he were to take this, the, the questionnaire I gave him, he probably would have shown signs of stress. Yes. I mean, what, what, what's okay. he doing but using the media to salve everything he's lost at school? Yes. And that's one thing I found was these dear students, they got uprooted from campus. They went home, drove home, some couldn't fly home. And then they had to live with mom and dad in the room and, and, and older brother, sister underfoot, baby brother, you know, whatever. It was more stressful for them than, than most older folks. 
Oh, that, that is so interesting. And yeah, I, I believe that. And I know, uh, like in his case, for example, the Xbox, that's actually how they are in community with each other sometimes too. So there is a lot of relational, uh, reality happening there, even though, you know, we can't see it necessarily, but so tell us, you mentioned about older people doing better. Um, give us some, some of your highlight bird's eye view results from the study, Bill. Yeah, found that people 60 and over were doing the best of every decade group and very much better than the young adults who were 18 to 29. Now, keep in mind, a lot of my my subjects are Trinity Western people. And among those are individuals who have established roles here at the university. They're older, they're mature, they're financially set. There's no one at home to go home to, but usually a spouse. There's no kids underfoot there. And so when I found that older people were doing well, I thought, well, that makes sense. I'm I'm 62. I went home to be with my dear wife and we, we both were at home and we had to, you know, work with that, but we did okay. In contrast, again, young adults who did leave campus or even high school students who suddenly didn't have all the joy of being on campus, you know, with their buddies, were now at home. Some of them having to find tuition money had work cut out from underneath them, or and that didn't have work for the summer. So those kind of stresses really put strain on younger people more than older people. We did find a little a gender finding, not not the overall weathering well. Men and women were about the same on weathering well. But when you drill down into the seven other scales I gave people, there was some differences. And just to let you know, I measured three things that could indicate relational health. And those were how much are you trusting the people you live with? How much do you find emotional support from them? And is life good? There is a satisfaction with life is good scale that I used. And then there's scales that are indicating struggle. And those were aggression verbal fighting, even physical aggression, they would report on. Social anxiety, being a fearful of people around you, being anxious around people. And then lastly, loneliness. You might be with someone a long time, but loneliness is a measure of how well your needs are being met, not if there are people living with you. Okay. So what I found was um, women did have a little bit less trust of the people they were living with, a little more fear of the people they were living with or or bumping into, you know, out, out and about, even if they were masked up, and also higher on loneliness. That was the gender finding. In terms of personality, it really helped if, if you went into all this with a fairly balanced emotional life, like you aren't one easily put off by things and easily stressed. That makes a lot of sense. What I also found was, and this is not true in most of the resilience research, is being open to change and open to artistic uh, creativity and, and open to new things. Well, yeah, that does make sense in the context of this pandemic is something no one else has experienced. How can we do this? Well, we're going to roll with it. <laughs> so those kind of folks did better. Extroverts did better. And you had, you had noted to me by email that, wow, you're an extrovert and you're, you're just dying on the vine here. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting though, when extroverts have that wide network of friends and associates, they can lean on them. And, and while it's still less than what you had before COVID, consider the person who tends to keep to themselves, may live on their own, and doesn't have a lot of friends they go to. They are really hurting. They are oh, that's really so interesting because, yeah, I would have assumed uh, clearly wrongly that the opposite was true, that if you were an introvert who didn't, you know, sort of feel the need to be around people, that this would be like, you know, an easy ride. And but you're saying really the opposite is the case. That, that, is, that is what I found. But remember, these are trends. And so you can have a very different experience. Right. Even if you're an extrovert, you you maybe are, in fact taking this very, very hard. I would note that about a hundred and about 70 people in my study, about 10% were living on their own. I'm guessing they were likely introverts. And unfortunately, they were the ones who had the absolute worst resilience scores okay. compared to people who were living with others. And that that makes sense to me, I think, intuitively, that it's one thing to live on your own when you can go outside and go to friends' homes and socialize. It's another thing to live alone when you're always alone. Correct. And yet they've chosen that alone way of living because it, it works for them. But during COVID, it really hasn't worked for them. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Yeah. So describe for me the coping strategies that are working for people, the things that people are doing that are serving them well during this time? Right. Well, I had to be careful of asking too many questions. I had 120 in the end. So I only wrote down, you know, some things I believe people might be doing to cope. So this is just really a brief set. And what I found was people who got outside and exercised were doing better. Uh, people who were attending church uh, online were doing better. People who were eating well, so eating better, not eating more and not drinking more. Those two, in fact, didn't bring resilience, but it was just eating better. We're doing okay. well. So healthy. We mean eating healthy. Eating healthy. Yeah. And then what I didn't mention was uh, using media, which we touched on briefly. And I said, you know, how many hours per day do you use media? Just engage in media on your phone, your whatever you may have. And I gave it a, a zero to eight hour scale. And I had people from zero, I don't do media, to a, most of us do one, two, and three hours a day. And then there were some up in the five, six, seven, and eight plus hours a day. And so I have that really robust way to measure, you know, is that going to lead to health or or struggle? Right. And, and is that well, is that any screen when we when we're talking about media there? Are we talking about phone plus Netflix, you know, plus a Zoom meeting? How how is that measured? Yeah. It's not <clears throat> it's I didn't measure it that way. Okay. Um because like I'm I'm on a screen all day and then I go home and I actually watch two hours of hockey or three, you know. Yes. Um, but no, the, the question I have here, I'm looking at it is um, I watch or play approximately blank hours of media programming per day on my television, computer or phone. So watch or play implies entertainment media. What about I'm wondering, uh, Bill, 
like I, for example, I started out very strong <laughs> where I was cooking really well for my family. Like, and I, I, I recognized in myself that that was a way I was coping, um, yes. is that I was going to take control of this. And this is one thing I could do. And I, I remember texting a friend who told me they were, they were eating not well. And mm. I said, um, from my high horse, Oh, I just made like a pizza crust from, pureed chickpeas. <laughs> so that was like one little snapshot in time. And, you know, within two months I was eating craft dinner, um, which I haven't done for years. So is this, do you think, you know, people who begin strong will stay strong? Are, can we dip down into these terrible valleys? Is that normal too? Two things, I think. You you said you, um, first of all, started to do these things and felt like if you were feeling resilient, then your kids would feel resilient. And you, you yes. did that by taking control of what you could take control of. Uh, that was your food, right? Yeah. Feeling control in a time of crisis is huge. And so as we are able to find things we do have control over, we should. And, and we should, whether it be how much we eat, how well we eat, how much we exercise, how much we use media. The worst thing to do is to sit back and say, oh, woe is me. This pandemic is really making things just terrible. I, I I have no choice here. I guess I will go to the garden and eat worms. You know, as you <laughs> it's called locus of control. We we need to have self agency in this. We can't start sitting back and saying I can't or I, I don't have control. Yes. As far as peaks and valleys, I mean, I measured these folks, um, you know, at week seven, and that's when about you know, two months into a lot of us doing things in ways we never had done before. So I think I captured it at the worst time. Um, but also as people began to settle in and figure their new routine. So I think, Karen, you know, moving forward is going to be, how can I now bring variety to my new normal? Okay. How, how can I choose to do things differently that are still within the, the you know rules of my government that are requesting you know, travel restrictions and, and mask wearing and that kind of thing. But I, I think there's always more beautiful places to see in our amazing country. I, I think there's still people who are hurting. We might reach out to and see how they're doing. And that idea of serving them yeah, really helps. Um, I should mention on the side here, I volunteer at a crisis call center. And we saw the, the numbers of calls spike up, of course, during March and, and April. And is just sitting, you know, and, and listening to people and, and bearing their burdens with them did a lot for me because it said, I can choose to help those who are right now struggling. So looking out for others, I think, can help us moving forward. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, you know, the attendance of, of online church, um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assuming just feeds into that what could be kind of a beautiful cycle of being encouraged to do the things you've just described. I mean, having our, uh, our own selves and souls, you know, nurtured and encouraged and spoken to and just worshiping at least once a week would help with all of those things. I would assume. It's true. Church offers so much. Um, I like to think of it as like the software and the hardware, the software of just the values we hold and the teachings of, of sacrifice and accommodation and, and thinking of the other person, you know, these things are huge, but also the, the hardware, like um, 
our church is now meeting um, 50 people at a time in an open space out on the beautiful grass behind our building. And you go and you get things there that you can't get online. So the church has so much to offer and, and provide resilience from. Yeah, that's so nice. Our, our church has not yet uh, reopened in mm. person, although that's coming. But I can see the joy uh, in people's just comments on Facebook as they, you know, come together on Sunday morning. They're they're saying good morning from you know this household, and hey, it's so good to see you. And that I can see that it is uh, nurturing them. Just the event of it, even. A, aside from anything they might hear or experience in worship, just knowing they're not alone, I guess, is so much, so much a part of it. That sure is. And, and think of all the people who don't have that. You know, I think of the book Bowling Alone that came out and said that we are losing so much social capital. Uh, volunteerism is down. People, you know, belonging to the parent-teacher association at their kids' school is down. What the, he attributes it to is our consumption of media, which keeps us in our home, happy and a little bit dazed and not eager to get out and engage civic culture and others. So, you know, the church is that that social capital. It is that bulwark through history that has given us identity, people and resources. And when we connect with them, even if online, we have resources that other people don't have. Yeah, that's so important. Um, Bill, I, I feel like we definitely need to circle back to the finding about women that you mentioned, because I find it actually kind of horrifying that women are reporting feeling fearful of the people with whom they are isolated or that they're living with. And I understand, I think I understand the fear of being outside, you know, maybe, but that fear of the people they're living with. Can you unpack that a bit? Sure. It needs to be clear that I, I did ask about living with people in your home, but also anyone outside. Okay. So, um, but, but there are two things that have to be analyzed. First is we know this very sad fact, and that is uh, women who are at risk of being verbally or physically hurt by their partner, usually a male, are more likely to have that happen behind closed doors. And when pandemics hit, the research shows the stress of the pandemic causes that to occur more. Interesting, that woman has not been out to her counselor now because she hasn't had the freedom to go. She hasn't been out to the group of ladies she visits to tell them that she's getting beat up at home. Mm -hmm. And so the actual number of reported abuses goes down, and it did go down when the pandemic hit. But later we find out through surveys that the, in, the incidences increase. So our hearts go out to you know women in that situation, and we hope that by now they have certainly been able to reach out to health professionals, uh, social workers, and you know, pastors to have that issue addressed. But more broadly, how about people who have a wonderful partner, but still are saying, I am just not as relaxed. I am not as trusting. I am not. We have to think, <laughs> I know my wife, she thinks through all the possibilities more than I do. And so when we ordered food, that came in from a grocery store that we ordered from. 
she said, make sure you now take the the theory wipes and, and wipe it all down, and we're going to also wash our, our fruit. And I thought, okay, okay, we should probably do that too. But she has thought through of what did the person delivering them do between the grocery store and the house? Okay. How about in the grocery store itself? Did the, did the person who was stocking the shelves, were they COVID free? So I, I tend to not think of those things. She does. And it just means she's a bit more maybe, you know, nervous than me. And so when it comes on to taking the scales, it shows up as a little more fearful, a little more anxious. And maybe the loneliness one, well, certainly women have usually met with other women to have social needs met. So if now you can't meet with those people, you do feel cut off. Even if you have a wonderful family, a wonderful husband, you don't have the girlfriends there, or at least in week seven that you did before. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. So now we're in week a million or whatever we're in, and we're <laughs> we're facing uh, the fall and the months to come and the winter that we and we don't know what will hold. Yeah, or what will happen. So if you uh, what, yeah, just give us some advice, Bill, based on on this survey. What coping strategies should we prioritize moving forward? I think we do have to look out for ourselves. Um, I would say look out for number one in a you know relatively good way. So we need to eat well. We need to exercise more. If we can't exercise, why not take that drive out? You know, remember Sunday afternoon drives back when we were we were younger. Yes. Um, going to open places, wide places. I remember a study where people who walked through a tunnel from building A to B felt worse than people who walked on the sidewalk between building A and B. Just just being above ground outdoors was better than being in a tunnel. So get out from your four walls. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, widen our circles. I mean, most governments are now saying you can increase the number of people in your circle but just make sure those people are, you know, COVID um, symptom free, um, and and encourage those people you're meeting with to to be careful as well. I I think that kind of thing um, certainly limiting our our media. See, media can be used to put relax us, to entertain us, to to help us re, um, unwind after a busy day. Or it can become the thing we go to as the answer to the horrible things in our life or the struggles we have. And we need, we can't go to media for healing ourselves. We need to go to media for entertainment, yes, but we need to go to other real people for the things we struggle with most. And then, and then keep going to church. It'd be the easiest time to walk away from church. But wow, for us, it's, you know, 90 minutes on Sunday morning, and then we do get along with, get together with all kinds of people from church in the week. So we, we do the both and, the online and the face-to-face, -face, as long as it's safe. Wow. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Bill, so much. It really is interesting to hear uh, what what is keeping people healthy. And, and, you know, in some ways, there's like sort of no big surprises. Um, it, I'm still a little surprised about the extrovert thing. I need to give that more thinking, but what you've said <laughs> makes sense to me. And just really good advice. And I think a great reminder uh, as we um, 
find ourselves on the precipice of another new phase or just a new season beginning, just to kind of regroup and think about what we've been doing and how we can maybe do some things better to take care of ourselves and the people we love. Well, it's been my privilege, and I thank you for the opportunity to share what I learned. Can we find the study online, Bill? Is it available for anyone to read? It's now in very academic form, going to scholarly journals for publication. But right now, Trinity Western has something on their webpage. If you went to TWU.ca and under search, if you search my last name, Strom, S-T-R-O-M, and pandemic. All right. Thanks, Bill, so much. Okay. You're welcome, Karen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.